If you believe in prayer, let me hear your hands. We're continuing our series on our core values. So far, we've talked about biblical authority, intentional discipleship, relational ministry, and experiential worship. And this morning, we're going to talk about fruitful prayer. Prayer is one of those things that everyone... (laughs) Stop. Think that through. Yeah, I'll say it anyway. It's one of those things that more people believe in than practice. Every, can you find anyone anywhere that would say, I don't believe in prayer? Yes, they're called atheists. But the rest of us believe in prayer. Even false cults and pagans believe in prayer. But not as many of us practice it as we should. Here's what our statement says. Prayer is the foundational support for our relationship with Christ and the impetus for our life and service. Prayer should be experienced as a personal lifestyle as well as shared corporately. Prayer must be understood as a conversation with God, not a monologue to God. So it's a huge subject. We could talk about how to pray, where to pray, when to pray, what kinds of prayer, importunate prayer, supplication, petitions, thanksgiving. We could go on and on and on with a series for probably 52 weeks. So I've thought about what, God, what do you want to talk to us about when it comes to prayer this morning as a core value? And I felt like what he dropped in my heart was to consider three environments that he calls us to enter into when we pray. What is the context in which prayer should happen, the places and the environments for prayer? And biblical environments, if we enter into them, will always make prayer fruitful. See, that even in itself implies that some prayer isn't fruitful. Prayer isn't always fruitful because sometimes it's vain repetitions or it, it's, it's, it's based on our own desires. You have uh, not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. So you might consume it on your own lust. There can be a lot of reasons that get in the way. But if we get into the right environment for prayer, I believe we'll see God work in us and through us to accomplish his purposes. So I want to start with probably the obvious one, but the one that I think is the least practiced, and that's the private closet of prayer. What's the first environment? The foundation for all prayer life is your private prayer closet. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you openly. So I've known individuals that literally have a prayer closet. When we were in Bible college, there was a young lady from our church who felt like she had to actually go into her dorm room closet and shut the door in order to pray. The only time I entered into the dorm room closet wasn't to pray, it was to hide from the dorm supervisor and pretend like I was a shirt hanging in the closet. That's a whole nother story. It had nothing to do with prayer. He's not saying that you have to have a closet. He's saying that prayer is first, primary, and foremost, a private relationship with you and the Lord in dialogue together. When Jesus teaches on prayer on the Sermon on the Mount, he actually talks about three important disciplines that all believers should practice. When you pray, when you fast, and when you give. And so I think that if on the Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about the primary disciplines of the faith, he's going to tell 
tell us what is foundational and bedrock to our prayer life. And he doesn't say, when you pray, gather together. He doesn't say, when you pray, get two or three and I will be there. He says, when you pray, enter into your closet and shut the door and let your prayer life be a secret expression from the eyes of mankind. Because Jesus wants to meet you in one-on-one communion. Think about what happens when you shut the door. When you shut the door and it's just you and Jesus, how many of you know you can be much more honest in the way that you pray? (laughs) I mean, I couldn't stand up here this morning and pray out loud, oh God, give me grace because there's someone I just want to rip their head off. (laughs) And their name is... I remember a lady who gave a prayer request on a Sunday when I was in high school. And she said, I want you to pray for my husband. He's cheating. He's drinking. He's doing all kinds of things. And I'm just praying God will bring him back. He's been such a reprobate. And she went on about him as he walked in the back. You can't do How many are here what I'm saying? You can't do I mean, you can do it publicly, but it's not the place to do that. It's not the way. To, but in your prayer closet, you know what you can do? You can unload everything that you feel because he already knows. You can share with him everything that's happening in your life, your frustrations, your pains, your joys, your hopes, your victories, the things you feel good about. But shut the door and make it a soundproof door spiritually so that it's just you and Jesus, it's amazing what can happen when it's just you and the Lord. He says that when you pray, so I want to challenge you this morning, if if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want to ask you, where is your time with Jesus? I'm not talking about people who try to create a a certain place. Well, I believe in that. I don't have a problem with a certain time and a certain place. I just want to know, when was the last time you talked with him? When was the last time you interacted with him? When was the last time you shut the door in a one-on-one relationship with Jesus Christ? Jesus practiced that and modeled it for us. In one way that he emphasizes it is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, when he talks to the church at Laodicea, the lukewarm church, and we use this for lost people, but it's written to the church. He said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. In other words, he's waiting for you to get to the closet because he's there at the door wanting to come in. He wants to fellowship with you. Where have you been? Where have you been? Again, Jesus practiced it in his personal life. In Luke chapter 5, verse 15, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. So it's when Jesus' ministry is exploding. It's, it's supernatural. It's powerful. He's popular. People are gathering to hear him. He's the healing teacher, the rabbi. We've got to go hear him. And in the midst of that popularity, what did Jesus do? He often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. (laughs) Uh, He got away from the popularity, 
the success, the victory, the accolades to get alone with the Father. The Bible tells us again, now it came to pass in those days that he went out to a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. So the night before he called his disciples in the will of the Father, what did he do? He got alone and prayed all night before he made one of the biggest decisions that he would make in his earthly ministry. And that was the 12 that would gather around him. Let me go a little further in Matthew chapter 14. After feeding the 5,000, wouldn't you like to have been there? Come on, wouldn't you like to have been there? And watch that just multiply. In fact, wouldn't you like to have done that? Nobody? Well, raise your uh, sights a little higher. I would like to have, I'd like to have been that one. You know, oh, no problem. 5,000 people besides women and children. What do we got? Five loaves, two fish. Hey, we got this. And you pray over it and it multiplies to feed that many people. Come on, you've got to admit that would have been a thrill. That would have been exciting. It's like we would have went on the lecture circuit the day I fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We'd be on all the Christian television and radio shows and our books would be in high demand because we would market the miracle. What did Jesus do? We miss this. We get so excited about the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 that we overlook that when he dismissed the crowd, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was alone. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? In those victories, what did he do? He got alone because it is that private time with God that he can talk about your weaknesses and your strengths and he can build in you. And I know you need people around you that will help you. I um, had an opportunity to speak a couple of weeks ago at a prayer meeting, a men's prayer breakfast, it was called. It really should have been called just a men's devotional breakfast. I get that. But afterwards, a good friend said, hey, it was great to see you. It made my year. And I shared that with my family. And my daughter said, dad, it's only January. (laughs) You need people around you. But God can do that in an even better way. And remind you who he is and who you are. In fact, we might see more of the supernatural if when God did move, we got alone with him. Oh, I'm not done yet. Jesus healed many in Mark chapter 1 who had various diseases. He drove out demons. He would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. And maybe if we got off to solitary places and prayed, we would have authority over demons. We'd have authority over sickness. We'd have authority over the works of the devil if we would get alone and seek him in our prayer private closet of prayer in Gethsemane. I want you to picture this, which was one of the greatest pictures of Jesus' prayer life. The Bible says that in Gethsemane, he sweat as it were great drops of blood. And I don't know if you're familiar with this medically, but under times of great stress, it's happened in the animal kingdom. It also happens in 
uh, among mankind that you can be so emotionally stressed that the capillaries will burst into your sweat glands and your body will be covered with a mixture of sweat mixed with blood. That's how deeply Jesus prayed, but he didn't do that with the group. What happened? On the night that he was betrayed, on his way to the cross, how did he pray? He asked the 12 to come with him, and they prayed here. Then he went a little deeper with the three, Peter, James, and John, and said, you pray here. And then he went in a little deeper, and he prayed alone. While they were supposed to be praying, he prayed alone. I'm saying to you that Jesus modeled the value of private, personal times alone with God that you seek his face and you hear his voice. One of the great examples of getting alone with God, I think, is in the Old Testament. In Genesis chapter 32, I love the story of Jacob. Jacob's in trouble. Esau is coming to see him, and he's absolutely convinced that his older brother wants to kill him. Um, and, and struggling with that, and he, he sends half of his family and goods one way, the other half another way, and then he gets alone, and he wrestles with, with an angel all night, or not an angel, it says a being all night long. I believe it was a pre-incarnate Christ, and he would not let go. Now listen to what happened as he's wrestling and seeking God, and all of this interaction spiritually is taking place. The 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 heavenly being touches his, his um, hip and it changes his walk. And after that all night of prayer, here's what the man who wrestled with Jacob said. Your name will no longer be Jacob. Do you know what Jacob means? Deceiver, supplanter, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. How would you like your name to mean having power with God. I'm just telling you, it won't happen if you don't spend all night in prayer. Secret times alone, you and Jesus by yourselves. So that would be my challenge this morning is, how's your private times of prayer? We don't need to know about those. You need to know that you're having them and that you're interacting and talking with God. The second environment that I would have you to consider is a public gathering for prayer. And this always fascinates me. The first thing that Jesus says in Matthew 6 about public prayer is negative. When he talks about prayer, he said, enter into your closet. Before that, he said, don't stand on the street corner and pray to be seen of men because there you will have your reward. There are dangers of public prayer. It does have value, but it must be guarded. Public prayer is often more sermon. Prayer meetings are often more sermon than prayer. I've gone to meetings where they have a prayer meeting before the main service. That's 25 minutes of preaching and five minutes of praying. I, I, can I talk to you about prayer meetings? People will ask, shouldn't we be doing more prayer meetings? Well, I'm going to show you the value of a public gathering, but here's what I've noticed. We've been here 13 years, and when I came here 13 years ago, there was a Saturday morning prayer meeting. And when I first came, there was about 40 people that gathered on Saturday morning to pray. And as God began to bless, that number began to dwindle. And we finally stopped when it was four or five. 
because we're not very good about committing to group praying unless we're in trouble. We decided to make Sunday night a prayer meeting and we had times of prayer, but over time, what happened with that? It began to dwindle till it was just a handful. For quite some time, Pastor Nathan did lunchtime worship and invited people to come in at noon and seek the Lord and there'd be 20, 25 people and it dwindled down till about two or three. Because you see what empowers us isn't our gathering together as a group if there's not a private closet of prayer that backs that up. Is there power in corporate prayer? Absolutely. The Pentecostal outpouring that happened in the book of Acts when they were all with one accord in one place, there came the sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. We were birthed in a prayer meeting. The power of God was released in a prayer meeting when people began to seek the face of God. It's the heart of what happens when people pray that didn't happen other places. In Acts chapter four, after they're accused and threatened and all the pressure that comes on them, what did they do? They gathered together for a prayer meeting and the place was shaken where they were gathered together. Now let's look at those two for just a moment. Why would there be such an, uh, an energy in Acts chapter two? Because it's a time of some serious trauma. The Messiah is gone. The Jews hate them and they don't know what they're going to do. And he said for them to pray. At the end of chapter four, they're being threatened and there's danger to the body and they gather together and pray. But then I'm reminded of the prayer meeting in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 12, where Peter's in prison and the group is gathered together to pray that God will save and release Peter, that God will set him free and God does and Peter's at the door and he's knocking and they say, who is it? And the, and the damsel says, well, it's Peter. He's at the door and they say, can't be Peter because we're praying for him <laughs> to be freed. But it was, when, it was when the body gathered together that God began to move. I'm not telling you that, that corporate prayer is wrong. I think it's incredibly valuable when it's built upon the foundation of the private closet of prayer. In fact, at the end of Acts chapter 2, where we see the church being established and set up, it says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and to prayer. They committed themselves to four things, the apostles' teaching to fellowship, to breaking bread and prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So what was happening is they would gather in the temple for corporate worship and then they would gather together in small group worship. We need both of those. So I'm, I had this thought because it'll often, I'll often be challenged by someone who'll say, shouldn't the, shouldn't the church be a house of prayer? Isn't that what Jesus said the church would be? Called of all nations a house of prayer? Why don't we have more prayer meetings? And I've thought about that. Why don't we have more prayer meetings? So... <laughs> I thought I'd go back to the scripture and read it again. How many think that'd be a good idea? Let's look at where Jesus said that. 
and what that might have meant. So I was reading in Matthew chapter 21, when it was said, it was right after Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. Now, what is he talking about when he says a house of prayer? Well, let's think about what Jesus didn't do. When he drove them out, the merchandisers, and it's interesting in John, he speaks specifically to those who sold doves. That's another sermon. When he drove them out and he says it will be a house of prayer, did he set up a bunch of prayer meetings? He didn't, did he? In fact, I think he's demonstrating to us what a house of prayer is. It's a house. You see, you can't, you can't separate prayer from people who pray. And if I could play with the English language a little bit, his house will be a house of prayer when it's filled with a house of prayers. People who pray. It's not as though you fill the house with a recording. It's not a call to prayer over the loudspeakers. A house of prayer means it's filled with people who pray. And if it's filled with people who pray, what will they do? They will drive out everything that gets in the way of people being ministered to. And when they were driven out, the sick and the lame came in and Jesus healed them. What's happening? Jesus is praying in the house of God and needs of people are being met and they're being set free. It's not about us just gathering to pray. It's about letting prayer drive out the things that get in the way of ministry that we're not just going to merchandise the church, but we're going to understand that the church has been built by God for prayer that will liberate the broken and set the captive free. A house of prayer will be filled, are you with me? Not with people who gather for prayer, but it'll be filled with people who pray, who are the prayers my house will be a house of prayer. So is this a house of prayer this morning? We gather for corporate worship. What are we doing when we worship? I hope you're praying. Worship is an expression of prayer, that we're taking time to call on his name. And so we do everything we can at the beginning and at the end of the sermon, that we are taking time to pray, to worship and glorify God together corporately. And I believe we're honoring this scripture. But beyond that then, we can't be satisfied with just being prayers. We need to be hungry to see what Jesus did happen. God, direct us as we pray to get everything out of the way that hinders genuine ministry and then bring to us the broken and let's see their lives changed and people healed and set free. So is this a house of prayer? It won't be measured by how many people come to a prayer meeting. It'll be measured by how many of you are praying. <laughs> Some of you are praying right now that I'll end early. <laughs> I'm just glad you're praying, whatever that would look like. A house of prayers. That's what will make it a house of prayer. So last, the last piece that I want you to consider. 
I do believe in the closet of prayer. I do believe in the public gatherings for prayer. And usually those were associated with a great need. And people gather together to pray. But there's also in the book of Acts the corporate power of corporate prayer that we need to experience God together. It links us spiritually when we experience him together. And yes, I believe that. I would call every Sunday morning a prayer gathering, a prayer meeting where we're worshiping him. We're feeding on the word of God and we close by listening to his voice. Absolutely. And there are additional times where we need to pray. But I want to stretch you a little further to something that's been on my heart most of my ministry life. And that's to call you to the personal pursuit of prayer. Not just praying in your closet. Not just praying when we gather together as valuable and as important as that is. But that we would learn to do what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 says. To pray without ceasing how is that possible i mean if the bible says it don't you think it's possible anybody in the house today that thinks it's possible anybody in the house today that is still awake i know you're cold came in warm went to sleep What does it mean to pray without ceasing? How could we discover that? How could we walk in that? Well, obviously there are other things that we need to do. I listened to the testimony of a man many years ago that was driving a van full of men coming back from a from a men's retreat when they got into the middle of a snowstorm and he said as he was driving he just closed his eyes and began to pray that God would help them and in a matter of minutes they just landed in Independence, Iowa and they were safe. Do I believe that? Not a chance I believe that. And if you are praying while you're driving and you close your eyes please let me out. So it's not suggesting that we walk around like this. I'll never forget too when, uh, when I walk and sometimes walk and pray, particularly if we're praying during a service and one of the teenage, I felt so bad, one of the teenage girls says, Pastor, I know when you pray that you're really hearing from God. How is that? She said, because you walk clear to the edge with your eyes closed to the platform and you turn at the right time and you walk back. It's just God directing you. And I didn't have the art to tell her, no, my eyes are partly open. I'm looking at the ground. It's not a miracle. And there are times, keep your eyes open. It's not saying that everything you do should be praying. People can, people can do that in a way that's silly. I do believe in praying and seeking, but what does it mean to pray without ceasing? We stop and we do like the Muslims and five times a day, is that what that means? No, we have a life to live, we have work to do. But I believe that it means we create an attitude that fellowships with God all through the day. I don't believe that prayer was intended to be a structured moment, but a lifestyle where we walk with him. I believe in the other pieces, 
But to pray without ceasing means that you are walking with him through the day, that you're mindful of him. The word means without intermission, that you're not taking a break. It's, it's not like, well, I had my devotions and people had my quiet time this morning and, and now I'm good for the rest of the day. I'm not. I'm not good for the rest of the day. I need him sometimes at a stoplight that won't change. We got one on the way home. That thing is full of the devil. I'm just telling you. You sit there through three stoplights before you get a green arrow. And I'll promise you I'm praying. God hasn't often responded, but I am praying. Someone walks up to me and says something, and I need a word from him. I had someone recently in the office, and they're talking about what God is doing in their life. I had a meeting with a man at, at, at dinner, and, and he's talking about his struggles, and I'm sitting there thinking, I, I don't know what to say. I don't have an answer, and, and it's just, Jesus, I need something from you because I got nothing. And you know what happens? If you develop... A relationship with him you don't have to say hey wait a minute after my quiet time in the morning I'll get back with you no I want to learn how to walk with him and talk with him all through the day that I am mindful of him that he interacts with me it's an attitude of God awareness and God's surrender that we carry with us all the time in fact, I think that's really what Psalm 55 verse 17 means when David said, evening, morning, and noon, I cry out in distress and he hears my voice. It's all through the day. Now, should you have a time? Yes, have a time that you get alone with God. Yes, I'm 100% for that. But I've shared before, we're the bride of Christ. And I'm telling you, If I want my marriage to be strong, I need to be mindful of her all through the day. <laughs> You're just looking at me and I'm having fun, so. Listen carefully because I mean what I'm gonna say. People get in trouble when they forget that they're married. Come on. People get in trouble when they forget that they're married. Now, they choose to forget. It's not like they have amnesia. They choose to forget. But if you want your marriage to be strong, I was in a store. And there's certain kinds of flowers that my wife likes and certain colors that she likes. And they had this bright blue um, flower an orchid bright blue which was fake they can't grow I mean it was real but and I thought she would love that and then I walked over and looked at it and it was $75 <laughs> and I thought she would kill me <laughs> my de my decision was because I am mindful of her. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Have you developed a lifestyle that you can be mindful of him? That you're talking with him through the day? That will happen if you have a closet of prayer. That will happen if you engage in corporate praying. But can we move beyond the structured discipline to walk in a lifestyle?
that we're mindful of him all through the day. The Bible tells us to cultivate an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the church. I think I shared this, but had a lady that doesn't attend here has come to see me a couple times and wants to enter into the fullness of the Spirit. And we're talking about speaking in tongues and walking in, walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And she came back a second time and she said, as I left and was driving home, I prayed in a new language. And she, and she said, you know what really struck me? She said, it wasn't praying in a language. It was how much more clear his voice became. How much more, shouldn't that be the goal? I'm walking with him. Come on, someone help me this morning. And I'm talking with him. That's our call. It's not more meetings, not more gatherings, but more prayers. People who are seeking God because when this house of prayer is filled with people that pray, there'll be a supernatural unction that will change everything. Let's stand together. And could we close just taking some time to pray together and talk to Jesus.
Lord, hide me in your love. Lord, bring me to my knees. And may I know Jesus. Jesus, I'm asking for you to do a supernatural work in our hearts that Brian Church would be a house of prayer because it's filled with people who pray. I ask that you would cultivate in us a hunger to pray without ceasing, to celebrate when we gather together corporately and to have our private times but to walk with you all through the day to cultivate an ear that hears what the Spirit says to the church. Help us be a people who pray. I ask in Jesus' name. And everyone that loves him said, amen, amen. If you believe in prayer, let me hear your hands one more time. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for your faithful, consistent giving, the support that you provide all through the year. We'll have some fun things to share tonight. Please join us for the business meeting that I think is at 5.30. I think so when we're meeting. So that's when I'll be here. Come on ahead. And um, let the Lord build in you a heart to seek his face. Amen. <laughs>